Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to uh, see you all here as we are making our way to our seats. Let me just give you just a couple of announcements. Uh, and they, uh, actually, first, I want to just welcome anybody who's via, was uh, watching us via live stream this morning and pray that uh, this will be a means of grace to you, as I'm sure it will be uh, to us here this morning. Uh, first quick announcement is that, uh, as most of you know, uh, after the service uh, today, we will have uh, a cookout at the Elliott Boat Basin, which I hear is also called the, the Dead Duck Basin. But um, if you got a bulletin, there are directions there. You should be able also to uh, go on like your phone and just GPS and it should just come up. But if you do need uh, help getting there, please see me uh, or Jay Smith and we'll make sure that you get there. And, uh, and then besides that, the only other announcement I have is that uh, you also received in your seat kind of a, a, a piece of paper and also a, a bulletin insert. Actually, I don't know if it's a bulletin insert, but a piece of paper with, uh, with, uh, with regards to uh, Christmas in July. Uh, and that is uh, with uh, Operation Christmas Child. So if you came into the fellowship hall downstairs, you'll see there's a, a table with a, a bunch of boxes. And these boxes are uh, boxes that are collected uh, globally uh, for, uh, for uh, to be distributed for children in need. And these are the boxes that we fill with uh, different uh, supplies, uh, some of it with toys as well. Um, and so uh, there are instructions. You should have a, a piece of paper that was by your seat. It'll have you, it'll just show instructions or kind of what to fill it with. And, uh, and by when it has to be turned in by. So make sure you read that and consider uh, picking up one of those boxes just to, to help uh, others, other kids uh, in need. So that's all the announcements I have. And let's go to the Lord uh, this morning and to, to worship him uh, through songs and through prayer and through his word. Amen. All right, church, uh, let's stand and worship this morning. Uh, but before we do, um, let's begin our worship with our call to worship which is out of Psalm 24, verses 3 and 5. And the Word of God says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Amen. So let's, with that in mind, uh, let's prepare our hearts right now and continue in worship. Yes. 
Behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King, and He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity, and in our
to wander. to you in worship this morning. First of all, thanking you, Lord, for Christ. God, uh, the blood shed on the cross is so precious, and here we are as a church gathering to worship you. Lord, I I pray now uh, for your word. I pray, God, that you may now lead us into your word, another type of worship for your glory. Uh, may May we be encouraged, may we be edified, rebuked even at ways. But may it all be for you, Lord, for your glory. May we worship today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Amen. The 
if you would, we are going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. So many of you know we normally transition to a time of prayer, but we're sort of the prayer towards later to the end of the service for uh, something special. So we're going to go straight into the word this morning, going into Philippians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 14 and read down to verse 23. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Father, what a joy it is to sing of the incredible blessings that you have given to us through the person of your son, Jesus Christ. And here in this passage, we have this promise that you will supply every need of ours according your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, we already have everything in Jesus Christ. And yet you promise to give us more. And so we praise you, we worship you, we thank you, Lord. And we pray now that you may help us to to humbly sit under your word. Lord, teach us, instruct us, Convict us. Father, and I pray that your spirit would be with us and with me also as I proclaim your word this morning. Lord, we entrust all these things to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We can think of many different ways of defining the word kindness. Think of different examples, just giving financially to someone, helping somebody in their time of need, helping them accomplish a task, perhaps. But I wonder if you've ever thought about kindness as a way of entering into someone's situation or predicament and helping them through it or helping them come out of it. Kind of a small example, just a few days ago, I was stranded at a gas station because my tire popped. And as I was trying to change the tires and put the spare on, I couldn't because the the jack in my car couldn't bring up the car high enough for me to put in the spare tire in. And so I was trying to fitting fitting around with that. I called someone who eventually came uh, to help me in my time of need, but during that time I had 
three individuals, I didn't know who they were, they just happened to be in the same time that I was there in the gas station, who came by, offered to help, and all I needed was just a couple of inches, something to wedge in between the jack and the car, and nobody could find anything in their car, nobody could find anything in the area. And yet it was still an act of kindness because the intention was to kind of enter into my situation and help me out of that situation. And although it, it, it wasn't successful on their part, yet it was still an act of kindness. But as we've been kind of working through the letter of Paul to the Philippians, something I keep pointing us to is the fact that there's just so much warmth and fellowship and affection between the apostle and the church at Philippi. And one of the reasons is because they had given generously to the Apostle Paul, and giving towards others just strengthens, strengthens our bonds with one another. And we really see things kind of coming back to full circle. He says that, yet yeah, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And if you go all the way back to chapter 1, he says on behalf of the church that you are partners with me, that you are partakers with me, both in my imprisonment and in the proclamation of the gospel. Now, what's interesting about that is that they're separated by distance. Well, in my personal situation, had people come and tried to help me in my situation, I, I saw them, right? we were not, there wasn't this distance that, that uh, prevented them from helping me out. But in this case, in the letter of Paul, where there's this distance, I mean, Paul is in prison, he writes this letter from prison, and the church of Philippi is in Philippi. And yet he says that they partnered with him in his imprisonment, partnered with him in the gospel. And this is a time, obviously, where there isn't email, there isn't phone calls, there isn't text messages, there isn't Zoom. The only way to communicate was by word of mouth, traveling from one location to another or the sending of letters. And yet it, they were still considered partners with the Apostle Paul in his situation. I came across a study recently, and I feel like you can conduct a study on just about anything. But there was a study that was conducted on the effects of kindness, or specifically on giving on an individual. Like, what benefits do you receive when you give or you are kind towards someone? And according to the research, the conclusion was that when you are kind to another person, or you give to another person, whatever that giving might be, that it, it produces uh, less stress, less anxiety, less depression. So in other words, the case is being made that you and I should be giving individuals or should be kind to others because it promotes better physical and mental health. Now, people can find many different, many different reasons for giving and being kind, right? Because you're compelled to, because it's the right thing to do, perhaps because you want to earn that person's favor, perhaps, or the favor of others. Some will try to be kind to others as an effort to earn the favor of God. But see, kind of the overarching thesis that I see in the passage is that God gives into the hands of his saints in order to provide for the saints to the glory of God. So God provides into the hands of his people, not so that they can try to earn someone's favor, Certainly not to earn God's favor. It is not to, because he, God wants you to have better or, or less stress and less anxiety in your life. Not necessarily for those reasons, but God 
primarily, according to this passage and others in the New Testament, God gives graciously into the hands of his people in order to provide for his people all to the glory of God. I don't think that's exclusive, right? We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to help others, even those outside of the household of God. Nevertheless, I think the primary reason that God graciously gives is so that we can help our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so to kind of explain this overarching thesis, I just have two points. One is the pursuit of giving, and one is the riches of glory in Christ. So, passage begins, it says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So, the beginning of the gospel, I think what Paul means here in the beginning, as he, when he first began to preach the gospel in Macedonia, when he was in need, and we don't know exactly what his needs were, but he was in some sort of need. And at that moment in time, there weren't any churches that partnered with him. And I don't think it was a malicious, I don't think it was a, because of distrust. I think that there wasn't any opportunity. They didn't have the resources to be able to partner with Paul in that particular time to be able to help him in his need. But the only church at that moment that helped him, that partnered with him, was this church in Philippi. So they shared in his trouble. Another way of thinking about it is that they fellowshiped with him in his trouble. We tend to think of fellowship as, a, as in a sort of a context of being cordial, friendly. Uh, when we are getting together, there's, there's smiles, there's laughter. Fellowship might be in the context of having a Bible study, praying together. This is a form of fellowship. Right after this service, we have a cookout as a form of fellowship. But fellowship, there's all, it's also possible to have fellowship in suffering, fellowship in distress. And which is kind of odd because when we know that somebody's in distress, when somebody is perhaps going through a painful moment in their life, we want to kind of step back and give them some space. Right, and that's appropriate for sure. But there are times when we actually need to make an effort and help walk into, kind of walk into that situation if they will allow us to. And in that sense, when we encourage others, when we help others in distress, it is a form of fellowship. Galatians 6, 2 tells us, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. All these are forms of fellowship. There's a Christian writer who wrote an article two or three years ago about the sin of apathy. What he calls the sin of apathy is, say, when somebody who is um, in quicksand, drowning in quicksand, and so the sin of apathy is to jump into the quicksand with them and suffer with them. But then what aid are you giving in that kind of display of apathy? What, is that, what does it do? I mean, you're both just suffering together. And of course, I mean, it, it might be well-intentioned, like you love the person, you want to carry that person's burdens, but that's not what the passage is talking about. When we're sharing in each other's trouble, when we are fellowship with one another, when we're carrying each other's burdens, 
sharing each other's burdens is not me jumping into the trenches with you and, and drowning in quicksand. Carrying your burdens is for me to put a foot in the quicksand, reach my hand out, and also have another hand by the branch and the tree and try to pull you out of the quicksand. That is what fellowship in trouble looks like. And this really speaks to the reality of needs, right? We all have different needs. Some are weightier than others. But we all have needs. There's never, there's never really, we don't spend a whole lot of time in our lives when we are not in need of something. Now needs, how you define needs kind of relative, right? Kind of depending on the person. Right, my children might say, I need candy. I'm like, well, do you really need candy? Some of you are like that towards chocolate. I'm like, do you really need chocolate? But how would, I think, how would the scriptures define need? Here's a working definition of need. Inability, an inability to acquire something or accomplish a task without outside help. In other words, you're in a situation, you're in a time in your life when you have a particular need. And there is no way that you can get through it. There is no way you can accomplish this task or acquire this one thing without asking for outside help. That is what need looks like. And we all have those moments. Now, whether we have the humility to ask for somebody for help is a different story. But we all have experienced different moments in our lives when we have needs. And there are those particular needs that we cannot accomplish on our own without asking for somebody's help. And so we see that the church partnered with the apostle and providing four different things, helping him in his time of need. If you know anything about the apostle Paul, this man suffered a lot. Persecuted on the account of the gospel of Jesus Christ in prison, in shipwrecks. And so there was a lot of seasons in his life where he could have used the aid of local churches. And we see that the church of Philippi was one of those churches that helped him in his time of need. And then we also read that his motives were very pure. It says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So what is he really after? What is this gift that he's really after? So he's not seeking the gift. He's not looking just to get something out of the church, just to get something. He's not looking for the church or others to supply or to provide for his selfish needs. But he's looking for something more. Now remember, if you were here last week, we talked about contentment and how Paul's secret is that he learned to be content in any and every situation. We talked about the fact that contentment is accepting one situation. I used to work at a staffing agency and help people to get jobs. And I would always have these moments where I get some, help somebody find a job, and a week or two later, they come back and they say that they quit. 
and they quit for trivial reasons. Well, I didn't like the guy. I didn't like the boss. I didn't like this person. The job was too far for me, even though I have a car. I'd rather have this job that is walking distance from my house. The problem is that they were discontent. But contentment is accepting one situation when you can't control the situation. It's accepting it for what it is and leaving the things that you cannot control to God. So Paul had learned this contentment. He had learned to be content. He knew how to be in need, but he also, know, he also knew how to abound. It tells us he's not looking necessarily for the gifts that come from the church, but he's seeking something beyond that. He's ultimately looking for the fruit that is produced on account of their giving. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. It's kind of a wonderful parallel passage. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 says, He, as God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So here in the passage, the fruit that comes... so. The church in Corinth was called and had committed to collect resources and funds to give to churches who were in need. And Paul is calling on them to commit to their word. So then, what he says is that that this kind of giving, that this kind of generosity will produce thanksgiving to God. That is the fruit that is produced when we give to others. It produces glory to God. Or the, the intention and the hope, the desire is that if I help you in your time of need and you help me in my time of need, that you and I together will glorify God for his gracious provision through his saints. And this all comes from a confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is a promise God will be glorified, and that you also will be enriched in every way, the passage says. And I don't think that necessarily means physical material blessings. Many of you have heard of Dave Ramsey, right? He's incredibly wise with finances and money. I think we could use more Christians like him who have this incredible wisdom with regards to the management of money and finances. And if you are familiar with him, he has this mantra that you Live like nobody else so that you can live like nobody else. In other words, you, you forsake vacations and eating out and eat on rice and beans all the days of your life until you give every spare penny to paying off your debts so that later on when your debts are paid, well, then you can live like nobody else. That is somebody who is free from debt. And he would also say that so that you can also give like no one else. Right? And that's, it's wise 
right? The Proverbs even say that the, the borrower is slaves to the lender, right? one of his favorite verses as well. However, the only thing that I would disagree with is with the giving part. Because you see, people matter much more than debt. First John actually tells us that anybody who has this world's goods and sees their brother in need and yet closes his heart towards him, how does the love of God abide in him? The answer is, there is no love in that person. Of course, right, pay off your debt, right, that's important. But First John also makes it clear that part of what it means to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and be a follower of Jesus Christ is that you love the brethren. Part of what it means to have the love of God abiding in your heart is that when you see somebody in need and you have the means or the resources or the time to help that person in need is that you go out of love to help that person in need and not close your heart up because perhaps you have something more important to do. But the promise in 2 Corinthians, the promise here in Philippians is that when we help one another, that you will be enriched in every way. That the promise isn't for those who close their hearts towards the needs of others. It's only for those who leave their hands open and their hearts open to help those in need. So then, so that we pursue giving, not to earn God's favor, not as an effort to earn the favor of anybody else, not necessarily because it makes us feel good about ourselves, though it, it can and it does, but primarily because we love one another. So in the passage continues, we pursue giving, and second, the riches of glory in Christ. The passage continues and says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul here is kind of employing sort of like commercial language in the giving, receiving, well supplied. He talks about their giving and that this kind of giving is it, it pleases God. Anything to us that there's a kind of giving that pleases God and a kind of giving that doesn't please God. Or if you read through if you've, the scriptures teach us about the priesthood of believers, but that those who are followers of Jesus Christ are considered to be priests in the household of God, separated by God, called unto God, to be ministers in his household, to intercede on behalf of others. And this passage speaks to the priesthood of believers in giving, that we are, that through our giving, through our helping of one another, that this is actually an acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And this is, really Old Testament language. He's talking about pleasing and acceptance and sacrifice. You see this mainly it's in Exodus and Leviticus. And if you read through the Old Testament, if you know anything about God's people in the Old Testament, is that 
they came to a place in their history where they continued sort of to do the right things, continued to perform the rites, the rituals, the sacrifices, as there was a checklist, they would check off every single one of those things without exception. And yet, God was not pleased. And the reason why he was not pleased is because their heart was in the wrong place. They were still in sin. They were still not taking care of the needs of others. They were worshiping other gods, worshiping other idols. They kept doing these right things, thinking that God will bless them and keep them and make his glorious face shine upon them. They can do, keep doing the right things. But he says to them over and over again that your heart is far removed. Your heart isn't in the right place. So no matter how well you give, no matter what you do, if your heart is not in the right place, then it is not pleasing to God. And the scriptures tell us that our good works are filthy rags to the Lord. And the reason why they're considered that way is because, is because there is no faith. Right? For anyone who seeks to do good to others in the world, to the Lord, it does not make a difference if they have not first accepted the gracious gift of his son, Jesus Christ. That God sent his son into the world not to drown in, in the quicksand of sin with us, but to pick us out of the, the quicksand of sin. God did not send his son into the world so that we may be crucified next to him, but God sent his son into the world so that we wouldn't be crucified and Christ would take our place. But anybody who believes in Jesus and follows Jesus and trusts their life to Jesus is spared of the judgment of God. And in Christ, they are rich. They receive mercy. They receive grace. They receive eternal life. Only then, only then does anything that we do matter in this world. You have to first accept the gracious gift of God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, by faith. The purpose of the sacrifices, the purpose of, of giving, of our helping one another, is intended to be performed with the right heart. A heart that comes from love. One, a heart that's received love from the gospel of Jesus Christ and desires to display that love to others. Ananias and Sapphira, some of you are familiar with that story in the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira sold a particular property. Let's say they sold it for $50,000. And they go to the church and they actually keep a part of the proceeds. Let's say they, take, they, they keep half of it, they keep 25000 and they go to the church and they say, we sold this property for 25000 We want to give it all to the church. But they were caught in a lie by the apostle and by the Lord himself. The problem was not that they gave. The problem was that their heart was far removed from the Lord. And why did they lie in the first place? They lied probably because they wanted the recognition, the prestige that they thought that they would receive. When word got out, wow, this, this couple gave, sold their property, and they gave all the proceeds to God's church. And that wasn't the case. The heart matters. Ephesians 5.2 tells us to walk in love as Christ loved us 
and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why was this sacrifice a fragrant offering to the Lord, a sacrifice acceptable to God? Because Christ did it out of love. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your act of spiritual worship. Hebrews 13.16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Romans tells us that our very lives are to be a sort of sacrifice unto the Lord, a living sacrifice to the Lord that is acceptable and pleasing to him. And part of what that looks like, practically speaking, in the day-to-day, is not neglecting to do good. And what we see also in the passage is that when God's people give, God's grace abounds to them. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, does that passage actually mean what it says it means? That God will actually supply every need of yours in glory in Christ Jesus. Is that actually what it means? Well, we've got we to think about a couple things. First, what is the nature of this provision that this, that this promise makes? Is it of a spiritual nature or is it a material nature? I think that it is both. We saw earlier the passage of 2 Corinthians. Another one in 2 Corinthians 9. Specifically verse 8. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And this is a promise given to those who give cheerfully. Not reluctantly, not out of compulsion, but from the right heart. And the promise is that God's grace will abound to you so that you may be sufficient in any and every circumstance. So that you may abound in every good work. That is the promise. That is the way in which God provides. But the context of the passage also tells us that Paul also receives a physical gift, a physical care package from the church. And in this way, he saw the Lord's provision for his life. We also need to think about the word need. It says that God will supply every need of yours, not every want of yours. Why we tend to confuse those two words, need and want. We tend to define a lot of things as wants or a lot of things as needs when they're actually wants or desires. But God ultimately knows. God knows exactly what you need better than what you think you need. The promise is that God will supply for every need of yours. And let's not forget contentment. Before this, Paul talked about the secret of being content in all circumstances, in all situations. 
there's a difference between being content and being satisfied. To be satisfied is to be full. It's, a, it's the realization of one's task or one's goal. And contentment well, is acceptance of one's situation, no matter what that situation is, especially when it's a situation you cannot control. It's learning to have peace and joy in the Lord, even if the situation is not what you would like it to be. So taking these things into consideration, I would say that when Paul says that God will provide for every need of yours, he means that God will provide all that you need in order to remain content and satisfied in Jesus Christ. Sometimes that is a physical blessing. Sometimes it's a spiritual blessing. Sometimes it's both. But ultimately, God is the one who determines exactly what you need. And he will give you what you need in order to remain content and satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's happening here, I think one way to think about it is every time we come to help another person, whether it's accomplishing a task, whether it's giving financially, whatever that case may be, whenever we help one another, it's like we're writing a check to the individual. And the promise, according to the scriptures, is that God will pay it back. He determines when. He determines how he's going to pay it back. But the promise is that when you write out a check to somebody, when you're helping somebody in need, that God will pay it back. Now, this isn't some kind of Christian socialism. Right, where we're sort of distributing all our resources to everyone in need, that we're giving up, or we're selling all our proceeds and giving it all to one another. I don't think that's the idea here. The aim is generosity that is produced out of a heart filled with love, love of God and love of neighbor. And that what we're looking for is the fruit that's produced out of that giving, that is ultimately glory to God. Not glory to ourselves, but glory to God. We're looking for God to be glorified, for God to be thanked when we help one another in our time of need. So the promise of God's word is that you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. That the Lord will provide for every need of yours. Not when you withhold from helping others. And one of the defining marks of a Christian who is content and satisfied in Christ is when they generously give their time, energy, resources to help those in need. Because when we do that, we show that we're actually not afraid of subtraction we're not afraid of losing things, whether it's time, our time, or energy, or resources, or whatever the case may be. We're not afraid of subtraction, but when it comes to giving, there is no subtraction in the Gospels. There's only addition and multiplication. The promise is that God will pay it back. As the scriptures tell us, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave us his son, how will he also not give us graciously all things? 
in Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need. We have a Savior. We have mercy. We have grace. We have forgiveness of our sins. We have eternal life with God. And if we, who do not deserve such gifts, have received such precious gifts through believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, how can we not also be gracious in giving of ourselves to others? So the gospel is the fuel that drives our giving towards one another. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, Lord, we are spoiled children because you have given us your son. Because you have given us innumerable blessings through your son. And if you have given us all these things, how can we not also be lavish with ourselves and give ourselves to others, especially those who are in need? Father, I pray that you may, that the gospel would just permeate our hearts. So that we will always look to the interest of others. So that we will be more aware of the needs around us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live lives that are sacrificial. All unto your eternal glory. Thank you, Father, for giving us all things in Christ. And may our hearts always be filled with so much gratitude for all that we receive in Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand and, and worship one more time together uh, as response in response to today's message, singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
in summer. Take your seats. Right now we are going to have a, a child dedication. I'm actually going to move this to the side. Uh, so if, uh, for those families that are, uh, are intending to uh, dedicate their, their child, you can come up at this time. Actually, make your way up here. Not to put you on a, on a pedestal, but just so people can see you better. Oh, you took my Bible. Thank you. Yeah, so one of the, some of the things, a couple of things that uh, that child uh, dedications kind of communicate is that one, it just affirms uh, the the value and just the dignity uh, of every child, of every baby, of every infant. Right, every child is created in the image of God. 
uh, that uh, it tells in the Psalms that, uh, that God forms our inward parts. And so every child is made in the image of God. God loves all the children. We see in the Gospels also that, uh, that God, that Jesus does not, uh, does not um, uh, push away the children, but he, he welcomes them and, uh, and, and welcomes them into his presence and embraces them. And the other thing about child dedication is that uh, I love the fact that it communicates uh, on the part of the parents their desire uh, for their children to know the Lord Jesus in a personal way. And praise the Lord uh, for that. And so uh, child dedications, uh, it's, not a, it's not a commandment in Scripture. We don't have to do it. Nevertheless, we do see examples of it, such as Hannah dedicating uh, Samuel uh, to the service of the Lord. Even the Lord Jesus himself was dedicated by his parents unto the Lord. And so it is a precious thing, and it is a wonderful thing, and I think God is honored uh, and glorified in it and is very pleased with it. And so what I want to do is uh, just read a passage of Scripture, say a few words, and then what I'll do is uh, I'll ask uh, the parents uh, a few questions, and then I'll turn it to you, the congregation, to, and I'll ask you a question, and then we'll, we'll pray. Uh, and by the way, um, let me just introduce the family uh, here. This is uh, Dennis and Gina George. Uh, this is Tristan, and they're dedicating uh, Tria this morning. And this is uh, Jared and Brenda Labonte, and this is their, their precious little daughter, Annabelle, that they are dedicating this morning. And then these are uh, Batistas, Edwin, and Tatiana, and they're dedicating uh, Daniel uh, to the Lord this morning. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, or hear, O people of God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God has given a special responsibility to parents to teach their children, to raise them up in the admonition, in the fear, and in the instruction of the Lord. This is essentially what we see in this passage in Deuteronomy 6, that that responsibility is not given to the pastor, it's not given to a youth leader or youth minister, but that responsibility is given to the parent to, uh, to bring their children, to raise up their children in a home where Christ is, is, is centered. And so uh, that their children are, are called to understand, to know the reality of Jesus Christ, the reality of God, and what it means to, to, to live under that reality of God. And that it is a desire on their part, on your part, to, uh, to teach the gospel to your children, to teach them the word of the Lord in the hopes that they will become followers of Jesus Christ one day. And as parents who are making this decision, uh, who are making this commitment, uh, you, uh, your children are in a favorable position uh, for them to believe in the Lord Jesus someday in their future. It's not a guarantee that they will, but they are in a favorable position for them to receive the Lord Jesus in your commitment and your dedication to teaching them and instructing them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And so with all that being said, I'm just going to ask you just a, a few questions, and all you have to say is, 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 is we do. Um, and so the first question is, uh, are you making a commitment this morning to 
raise your child in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Amen. And then secondly, um, do you uh, commit to uh, teaching your children or your child uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and living your life in a manner that displays the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen. And then lastly, uh, do you commit to, uh, to providing and making a Christ-centered home uh, and by uh, praying together and reading the scriptures uh, together? Amen. And so, uh, to you, church, uh, do you, as, uh, as, as a body of Christ, as, as family members of uh, the Batistas, the Labantes, and as the Georges, do you commit to praying uh, faithfully and regularly for this family and their children, and do you commit uh, to encouraging them and to helping them in the raising of their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord? If you do, say amen. 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 And I... Uh, as a pastor, I commit to you uh, to, to help you, to encourage you, uh, to pray for you, to pray for your children that they may know the Lord and that the Lord would give you great wisdom uh, in teaching your children. And I also commit to uh, keeping you accountable to that end as well. And so, uh, so that, uh, let's, let's go to the Lord and let's pray for these families. Let's pray specifically for, for Tria, for Annabelle, and for Daniel. Amen. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning, and we, Lord, we acknowledge that you are the God of the universe. We acknowledge the fact that you created each of these children in your own image, that you love them, that they are precious to you. And Lord, there is nobody who desires more than anybody else that, you, that they would believe on you for their salvation. You desire that more than their parents do. And Lord, we pray that you would help these parents to teach their children in the ways of God, that they would bring them up in the admonition and the instruction of the Lord. Lord, we pray that their children, Lord, would understand who you are, that they would know you through the example of their parents, through what they learn here at the church, through what they learn from others in the church, through what they learn from their parents. Help these children, Lord, to know who you are. And God, we pray that you would save them at an early age. We pray that they would know you, that they would entrust their lives to you, God. We pray that they would love you with all of their heart, with all their soul, with all of their might. So we pray for great wisdom on the part of their parents. Help them, encourage them, give them understanding. And Lord, help us as a church to come alongside them, to support them, to help them, to encourage them in every way that we can. So we entrust these precious lives to you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So uh, you're welcome to, uh, to hang around uh, and chat, but we very soon will be making our way to uh, the Elliott Basin for our church picnic. Everybody is welcome to attend. So... Um, God bless. Uh, God bless you, and uh, Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs> oh, so.